James Joyce once wrote, I am tomorrow, or some future day, what I established today. I am today, what I established yesterday, or some previous day. Welcome, O life. I go to encounter for the millionth time the reality of experience. Well, when it comes to experience, my guest today on the program has tons of it, and we'll get to that. But on the subject of time, he hasn't done an interview like this one you're about to hear in, I think, like 25 years. Lots to cover today. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. Another Day, a song by David Long and Shane O'Neill. My guest today on the program is one of those guys, David Long. Let me tell you a little bit about David Long. I first got hip to the work of David Long around 1990. I didn't even need to say the year because as soon as I used the phrase got hip to, you were like, that was a long time ago and that guy's old. Well, fair enough. But I wasn't old when I first heard Into Paradise. I was 20. And the Dublin band gave me exactly what a 20-year-old needed. Moody rhythms, dark melodies, and churning choruses. They reminded me of a cross between Echo and the Bunnymen and The Sound. And sure enough, Adrian Borland of The Sound produced their second album, Churchtown. Made up of David Long, Rachel Teague, James Eady, and Ronan Clark... Into Paradise were a spellbinding outfit whose songs were urgent and yearning. But they only put out two albums, and aside from a handful of great singles in the early 90s, that was that. In 1996, Long and his childhood pal Shane O'Neill, who fronted the band Blue in Heaven, teamed up for an album under the moniker Supernaut. The two pals had also been in bands together before, so working with each other was a natural thing. And that record was super cool, but then Long kind of stepped away for a bit. A bit being like 20 years or so. But then he and O'Neill started writing and recording together in 2018 or thereabouts, and the collaboration yielded loads of new material. So much so, in fact, that their new EP, Far From Home, is out now, and their new album is forthcoming. The new material is a nervy blend of the go-betweens circa Send Me a Lullaby, the Triffids' born Sandy Devotional, and the Jesus and Mary chain. It's some of the most riveting work I've heard by anyone in years. And David Long? 
Well, he's one of the nicest dudes around. You're going to dig this chat. So here's me and David Long having a conversation right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. never played the states it, it, it was it was kind of like a big regret we um i went over to do press i think for uh there was a, a compilation album uh before the church town album came out a compilation of kind of all the satanta stuff that uh, uh, ensign had released so they sent me over to uh, america for a week to do press and that, that that was it i thought we were going to get back over to do a tour but we never did so oh yeah, because I spoke to uh, Sean O'Hagan yesterday, and he told me that it's he said it's really, really difficult now for for bands from the UK to get over to the states. But back in the eighties, it seemed like it wasn't as hard because it seemed like everybody was over here. So, oh yeah, there was, there was, yeah. I mean, lo- loads of Irish bands played the states, but for some reason, we, uh, it kind of bypassed us. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, well, how are you? How are things? How's how's your life these days? How's your how's your day to day in this really weird time? It's 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 kind of like the same as always, you know. Um, staring into space a lot, reading, you know, watching movies, just you know, the same. Like my lifestyle hasn't really changed since the COVID, you know. Um, it was a quiet life, so it's still it's still quiet, you know. Yeah, and um, so it hasn't really. Thank God it hasn't really affected me too much, you know. How's your just general anxiety about about the way the state of the world has it been has it been peculiar to sort of sit back and watch it and and wonder where it's all headed? Uh, I suppose and that's another thing. It's it's kind of passing by. I mean, I, it's it happened last for us. It happened last March, I think, March April, and that's when myself and Shane started recording it at the very start of it. And um, I mean, we could see it on the news and, you know, there's so many deaths and so many people getting the disease. But um, uh, it did, I don't know, it kind of passed me, passed me by, thank God, a bit. My wife was off at the same time. So basically we were just, the house was full and we were just going through our day-to-day kind of routines. Like she started going out doing all the shopping because... Uh, of, because of my age, there's an age gap between the two of us, and I'm a smoker, so therefore I'd be more prone to, you know, if I, if if I ended up getting the the COVID or whatever, it'd be a lot worse for me. So, and then after a couple of months, we it just it just became the, the norm. Do you know what I mean? Like it didn't. It, to be honest, it didn't really affect us, you know. And I also think that if you you know if you're living in a in a quiet place, that your stress level is probably generally. Aligned with your environment. Yeah, well, I mean, I think as 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 you actually get older, you don't you don't get as stressed about things. Do you know? Yeah. You kind of see things. They they don't actually. Yeah, the stress levels go go way down the older you get. I think. I've noticed that too. I I definitely noticed that when I was you know my twenties and thirties, I was a little jumpy. 
and I, I don't I don't think I'm that jumpy anymore. I think I'm I think I'm probably just too tired to be jumpy. The same. You're the same. Tiredness comes in a lot. You kind of sleep more and you daydream more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's fun getting older, David. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, I mean, one of the things I love about you working with Shane is I know that you guys, you know, have known each other for so long. And I, and I, I have this sort of romanticized idea of bands that were around at the same time and in the same, kind of in, in the same area, um, that there's a, a camaraderie and a fellowship that is sort of like a, a, an unbreakable bond. Um, that's not always the case, I find, with people. But um, I like the fact that you that you and Shane are working together and you have this friendship. Has that been something that you, um, you know, have noticed that friendships are, are hard to maintain in general as we get older, but are you, or are you finding it easier? You, you always end up with just two or three close friends, or, or maybe even two. And um, basically, myself and Shane, we kind of grew up together. We were, we kind of lived around the corner from each other. So we, we had a, a huge interest in um, music. So for instance, when we were kids, let's say the Beatles films used to come out at Christmas on St. Stephen's Day. And the next day we talk about the Beatles film, A Hard Day's Night or whatever film came out. And then there was one time when I think it was the Let It Be movie where the band, were, where the Beatles were fighting and it was mental. <laughs> and we couldn't get our heads around it. That The same band that, were, that was in A Hard Day's Night and Help and Yellow Submarine had, they became adults and they were like fighting in the recording studio. So we were brought up on all that kind of stuff. And then we started a band called uh, Amuse in I think 1980, 1981. And we rehearsed for a year with Dave Clark and we did some gigs and we did some recordings. And then I kind of self-sabotaged that group. I kind of made it that I had to leave it's sometimes I kind of did stuff like that so even now when we started recording the Marlins Ice album I we were actually talking about that and kind of getting over thing, things like that and then he went off and started Blue in Heaven and and they were signed to Ireland and they recorded two albums and one of them was produced by uh, Martin Hannett which was <coughs> who was a kind of hero of, of the two of us like because of the Joy Division album yeah. and because of like the John Cooper Clark album and some magazine stuff that he did. And then I ended up forming Into Paradise then. And we had Adrian Borland. And the Adrian Borland, uh, he had an album called From the Lion's Mouth with the Sound. Yeah. And Shane and me and Dave Clark were mad into that album. We, like, we loved it. We, it. One of us would buy it and the other two would get cassettes of it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, it was fantastic. But ha funny, funny enough, um, when I listen back to a lot of the stuff now by the sound, I kind of think... He, he would have been better off being recorded by Martin Hannett. I think there's a sound of the sound that doesn't really suit me now, if you know what I mean, but the songs are still brilliant, do you know? Do you mean that they, because that, if you listen to Joy Division, you can't place it on a timeline. Um, exactly. But the sound, I could say, and I love that record and I love that band, um, but I could, I could definitely put it on the timeline. I could go, oh, that's 1985 or 1983. It, it sounds like the year it came out. Exactly, exactly. Whereas the Joy Division stuff, um, it's just the sound quality that he got was just amazing, you know. And it, it, I, I mean, from reading a lot of stuff about it, the band, well, the guitarist and the bass player weren't happy with the sound. They wanted it to sound like a live band. But um, Hannett made them, turned it into a studio, into kind of studio albums, you know, with effects and reverb and 
uh, and he was right. I mean, I think they all agree now that Hannett was the one who was right because basically he's given it that timelessness. Plus, of course, which I found astounding a couple of years ago, I got the, Deb, the, uh, the Deborah, uh, Deborah Curtis book and she had all the lyrics printed at the back of the book. Hmm. And sometimes when you listen to music, you don't really notice the, you know, you'd notice the lyrics, but you don't really notice the lyrics. And when I read the lyrics, I just absolutely, I, I just couldn't believe how amazing they were. They're like art, it's, it's art at its highest form. And, it, and he was only 21, 22. I mean, it's unbelievable. His lyrics were just fantastic. He wrote that he probably wrote them at 19, right? I mean, he probably wrote yeah. them, you know, and, you know, I'm a writer. And if I look at what I wrote it when I was 19, it's, it's really, it's not Ian Curtis level. I'll just say that. Um, it's embarrassing. It embarrasses me to read it. I understand the, the feeling behind it, you know, like the girl doesn't love me and then the world feels like it's crashing down, um, or, you know, or you feel a kind of isolation because of it. But, it, but my writing was terrible. The fact that he was so fully formed um, still kind of staggers me. It's kind of, it's remarkable. It is, it, it is. I mean, I remember like with the band with Shane, with uh, a, a, a Muse, like our, our problem was the music was great and the melodies were great. But my God, the lyrics were dreadful. And I was the one in control of a lot of the lyrics at that stage. And they were just terrible lyrics like, but um, uh, like, and I was in my twenties then, and I just can't believe how his lyrics were just really so fully formed. I mean, it was only coming up to uh, Under the Water album that I started kind of coming to grips with writing lyrics, you know? Um, before then it was just like hit and miss and uh, it, 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 it's hard to explain. I just, we just couldn't get our, we could, we could do a gig and all the songs would be about snow. You'd write about anything, you, you know, the lyrics were the last thing we thought about. That's why Joy Division were so lucky that they had somebody who actually uh, wrote brilliant lyrics. And most people, when they're young, don't write. Uh, their lyrics aren't really that good. Maybe Paul Weller, maybe, for because I think he was young when he wrote um, Down the Tube Station at Midnight and yeah. that album, what's it called? All Mod Cons. Like, yeah. He was young when he wrote great lyrics. Like. Yeah, and I think it's so funny you say that. Wait, I'm going to show you something. Um, I just... I just had that. Oh album. my god! Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> I just. I, I love that album. I love it too. I mean, so <laughs> I literally just had the vinyl out, and you mentioned it. But I mean, look. I mean, track two is to be someone. I mean, I could yeah. have written that at that. I could. I can't write that now. But I mean, even and Tube Station closes the album. Um, I mean, Billy Hunt, David Watts, incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, but. I know what you mean. And so it's interesting to hear you say that your, your relationship with lyrics just became something a little more harmonious fairly recently. Um, back to, cause I, you know, 2013 or so, maybe you started to feel a little more, a little more in control of what you were writing lyrically. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know what happened. It just, um, I just, I, it was more of a confidence, uh, kind of thing. Like for instance, there's one song on the album called, uh, Earth Moves, which is probably my favorite song on the album. And so the three things that I remember was, I was reading The Plague by Albert Camus. I was reading the Nick Mason book by Pink Floyd. And I had an argument with the wife. So therefore those three things were in the back of my mind. Then I decided one day, and it takes, it's a, it's a lot of hassle. I have this tiny little recording machine called a Boss Micro Recorder. It's basically the size of your hand. 
So it's, I don't even sing in a microphone. I sing through the little inbuilt, inbuilt mic. So I decided to put the keyboards into it, got a drum beat and put in four basic chords. And I had a feeling I'm going to actually write a song with this. And I knew I only had about 20 minutes before the kids came in screaming and whatever. So I played the stupid chords on it. And then I sang off the cuff. And then I kind of, kind of liked it. So I put it on SoundCloud. This is really how me and Shane were meeting up. He, had, he was starting to put more stuff on SoundCloud and I talked to him about his stuff. So I put this on and two days later, I took it off SoundCloud. I kind of was a bit afraid of the song. I don't know if that makes sense. I had a bit of a fear of the song. Shane emailed me two days later and said, uh, you had a song up there the other day. You took it down. And I said, yeah, I said, I kind of got the fear with it. He said, when you send me the MP3, I sent him the MP3 and two days later, he sent me this unbelievable second part of the song with guitars and just fantastic sounds fantastic but basically that's how that came across you know i remembered basically in the nick mason book he has a thing where at the end of making dark side of the moon they got all different people in to uh, talk about madness and mental health and one of them was uh, the doorman of abbey road studios and he happened to be irish and he's the fellow who said there is no dark side of the moon. It's all dark anyway, right? So I used that line in the song. Then the argument with the wife was like, man up, man up. And I went under my breath, fuck you. And that's the kind of chorus line, right? And then the plague is kind of in there too. So it's all this mishmash. I don't know what it means, but it affects me and I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's like if you did a songwriting workshop and some young songwriter said, what are the three ingredients to writing a song? And you would say, a book about Pink Floyd, an argument with your wife, and a little Camus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm still a chancer. <laughs> did, you, did you feel a vulnerability that you'd never felt before? Is that what the fear was about? I, I, I think sometimes I do things too quickly, so therefore I'll get an idea for a song and I'll record it down straight away. And then I will put it onto SoundCloud. And there's only about 10 or 12 people who listen to me on that particular platform. And it's kind of like, a, you kind of get to know them and you just put it up. And sometimes, yeah, it could be, a, 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 it could be, a, it, it, yeah, I suppose it could be a bit of a showing something unfinished or, well, that was the whole idea of SoundCloud that you can put stuff right. that's kind of unfinished or that doesn't, that used to, like, I still don't know what it means. Do you know the song, but it really moves me. Do you think that what was happening for you is because lyrically things were coming almost like a Polaroid, like, like the lyrical picture was finally coming really clear to you, um, that it felt really much more more raw than, than anything you'd ever done before? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was all to do with the music. And myself and Shane kind of talked a lot uh, while giving each other... Um, uh, uh, WAV files like we, we we talk about the songs we talk about the production the kind of sounds that we wanted and we and then we more so now we're, like we're releasing at the moment kind of singles with with uh, kind of maxi singles like the old days like with maybe two b-sides that aren't on the album and now we, we'll talk about the lyrics more and what the song's about are and sometimes we we don't know what the song's about it's just uh, we get a vibe off of a big bass line or um but yeah, the lyrics, the lyrics kind of, uh, they seem to be working a lot better. 
I think it could be a lot to do with that we trust each other. We've known each other for years. So we can say stupid things. We can put in stupid lines. And if they work, they work. If they don't, they don't. Because we're not going to be embarrassed by each other because we've known each other so long, you know? Whereas with a band and uh, when you're in a band and if you don't know them really, really well, it can be kind of uh, nervy going up to a microphone and singing in a studio where the rest of the band hear the words. And, and most bands actually, to be honest, don't listen to the words. I can remember twice where band members like let's say from into paradise where i'd come in after doing a vocal take and they'd go oh i really like that line I, it only happened twice do you know yeah one was for the song sleep the opening line for sleep and one was for the opening line of uh, dreaming that was it like so most bands it's it's the whole overall thing the music and the words you know they don't they it's you know the way sometimes when you hear a song that you love like for instance uh Let's say Radiohead's um, "Fake Plastic Trees." Okay, and and you love that song; it sounds fantastic. Um, sometimes you don't notice the lyrics on the original version, and then all of a sudden somebody new will sing it, and all of a sudden the lyrics jump out. Do you mm. know? Yeah, and you kind of go, "Oh my God, those lyrics are genius!" Do you know, they're even better than I thought they were. Yeah, that's interesting because I, being a writer, I always hear lyrics first different elements emerge to different people in, in different ways. But for me, it's always been lyrics first. Um, but for you, if you hear a song, it's not the thing that stands out to you. It's that's not, that's not the, the standout for you. It's, it's the music. It, it, yeah, yeah. But, it, but the, 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 but the words are, are extremely important, obviously as well. Like the words are extremely, but, but what I'm saying is you get an overall picture of the words and sometimes you're not reading them right until you actually, maybe you have to see them written down. You know, you could be making mistakes. Yeah. Like, for instance, I always made a few mistakes uh, li li listening to uh, Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. And then Paul Young did a cover of it that everyone slated. And the reason why I, I don't love the Paul Young cover, but I liked it was because there was two lines that I didn't realise what Ian Curtis was singing until I heard the Paul Young version. And I went, oh my God, that's even better. He's, sing he's singing that, Do you know, because I couldn't understand what he was singing in 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 two lines of the song you know yeah were there I mean, some the lyrics music, yeah sorry but i mean the music was really exciting then and they had like great bands like you take magazine like the great opening line i am angry i am ill and i'm as ugly as sin my ears ability keeps me alive and kicking i know the meaning of life it doesn't help me a bit i mean that's just genius you know as well like so those manchester bands they had something <laughs> yeah for sure well, I always, I always loved the lyrics of, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, even like if you look at the Smiths where, um, you know, the magazine idea was, was sort of upped, you know, 20 levels in terms, because now you can sort of bring in the self-deprecation along with a kind of romantic poetry and then, uh, you know, real a cleverness that was, had not been seen before in, in, in songs. But um I always thought in, you know, when you guys were coming up, there were so many amazing lyricists um, floating around, um, you know, bands like whatever, like Something Happens or or That Petrol Motion. I always thought those were really interesting lyrics, A House. And um, there were a lot of really good writers floating around. Were there people that you were contemporaries where you're like, how are they pulling that off? Like, were there people that were were dazzling to you that were making music alongside of you at the same time? Well, I'd, I, 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 would, I would have to say kind of further afield, I'd have to pick out somebody like, um, let me see, at the same time that we were doing stuff, there was uh, uh, the Happy Mondays. 
yeah. for Pills, Trills and Bellyaches album. I mean, the lyrics are just astounding. They're fantastic, you know? Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, the Stone Roses lyrics. The, re- the Stone Roses lyrics actually are really, really simple, but just really beautiful, you know, that, that go with the music. Um, who else? I mean, I'm sure there's loads of people that I can't place right now. Um, but more so those type of bands, do you know? Um, yeah. Like, yeah, the... Just, the ro- you're right about the roses like the like i i almost think that they were really underrated lyrically because i think some of those lyrics are really interesting yeah no they are they're fantastic like um yeah i mean that 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 whole album is just fantastic it's a it's yeah. a brilliant album you know yeah. it's amazing they haven't and i actually got to really like the the follow up like when i heard that song um love spreads i mean i just loved everything about that track you know the bassline the guitars everything and actually, I, I kind of got into the second album a bit as well when it came out. I know again it wasn't it wasn't thought of well, but I I I really liked it. It had an attitude and a swing to it. You know, I know it was kind of Led Zeppelin-y, but yeah. And I think sometimes you know, the, so much time had passed that I think um, they'd almost like missed their missed their uh, opening where you know they could have followed up quickly and and. Um, taken over, but things had changed so much. I mean, we'd already had Nirvana and, you know, everything, at least, at least here in the States, the appetite had had changed sonically. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think that, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so it's interesting here you said that lyrics for me are always, that's the first thing I hear, and I'm not a musician at all, um, so that does kind of emerge to me. Um, it's also kind of, I think it's kind of cool for people to hear that you've been in the business a long time and it's only recently that you've started to feel um, a kind of um, comfort level with a major element of songwriting. And I, I think that's actually kind of instructive for people to hear and maybe even comforting, you know, that you, you, you kind of work your way through and into something. No, no yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the older you get, like, the more you just want to please yourself. And, and what you want to do is you want to make art. You want to make something that lasts, something that you think uh, is it's kind of worthwhile, do you know, and uh, something that gives you a kind of buzz, and and that's what myself and Shane do really. We just try to make music that that we really like. We're not trying to, we're not trying to change the world. We're not trying to, you know, sell thousands of records. We just want to make, you know, whatever. We just want to make songs that kind of interest both of us. Kind of the lyrics have kind of moved on, and they've. Uh, I, I don't know the whole pick, the whole thing has just got better I think as, as we get older I think we were able to edit each other out uh um we take much more time over songs than than we would have in our previous bands for instance when you um sort of you mentioned you self sabotaged uh the band you guys were in um but your friendship survived which is actually really cool because um you know sometimes that can put a wedge between people um but but he he understood what was going on. Did, did you guys maintain a friendship right after you left, or was there a, a time period where you didn't talk for a bit? Uh, we, we 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 never decided not to talk. But there was probably maybe one or two years after that where we didn't really see each other too much. But I mean, having said that, we always kept in touch. Like uh, like for instance, like when he recorded the album with uh, Chris Blackwell, the second album, Explicit Material. Like he called up to my house on a Sunday night to play me the stuff. Not really known was it okay or not you know in his own head like and I heard and I said no it's it's pretty cool like you know 
Um, so if we had any problems like that music-wise, we'd, we'd kind of get back in touch with each other because we were so close when we were younger, do you know? Um, I mean, Shane's always been brilliant in the recording studio. I think he's kind of, uh, he, would, he, would, he would have been fantastic for kind of young bands to, to, to record him in the studio. He's got a really good buzz. He knows how to make great sounds and how to get the best out of people sometimes, you know? So, um, and the two of us have been through the mill, obviously, with the, with, the, with the different bands we were in. But we've no regrets. I mean, I've no regrets about Interparadise. They, they had all the chances they, they could get, you know? Whereas Amuse, maybe, there's, a, there's kind of a few regrets there to think that maybe myself, him and Dave Clark could have made something really, really good, you know? Yeah. 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 One wonders. And I think your, your tendency to, <laughs> you were saying you, you tend to self-sabotage. What was that? What is that rooted in, do you think? Oh, I don't know, but I, I don't have it now. <laughs> it's gone. It was, it's gone now. I don't have that self-sabotage kind of thing now. It's just, um, I don't know what it was. Do you know? I, I, I really, I, I wouldn't think too deeply into it. <laughs> Do you yeah. Know? Yeah. Just a, just a youthful reflex. Cause I, you know, sometimes I would do that in early relationships when I was, you know, in my, in my twenties, if, you know, something was going pretty well with a girl, I would find a way to screw it up. And I'm not sure where that came from. Maybe just, uh, you know, a fear of success uh, that, Hey, this is going too well. Let's, let's disrupt it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. And then the other thing was, it was, we were starting to do kind of live gigs and maybe I didn't, fancy standing up on stage in front of people singing at that particular time do you know um yeah it was uh yeah it was strange i mean every gig was kind of really really nervy like we used to play this place called uh, the bodice gigs in the magnet bar in pierce street and uh there were lovely people actually who owned the magnet bar but um yeah i mean it was so nervy playing those gigs you know um i used to go there to see um chant 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 and micro disney the old micro disney you know with Sean on guitar, and I think Geordie was on guitar, and uh, and they were fantastic, like. And, but it was really so nervy because you were so close to the people at the at the gig. You know, they were so, they were right beside the stage, and it was kind of ner- I was it was a really nervy thing, you know. Did you ever get comfortable playing live? Did you, did you ever get to the point where you would get on the stage and just eat it up, um, or was yeah. it always you did? I did, yeah, eventually. I mean, when we were in England, you know, we were touring England, it just became natural. I think the more gigs you do, it just becomes natural. Like, um, Yeah, it, it, it's kind of, like I hadn't done a gig in something like 20 years and I did a gig in the in Whelan's. I don't know what made me do it, actually. A solo gig. And it turned out great. It turned out really well. But it was, it's funny, the minute you, you're kind of nervous, but the minute you get on, it's just like, you know, it's like driving a car. Like, you just, you just get on with it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And there's always a kind of, um, in the absence of, you know, your absence from the music industry, um, people are always fascinated with like, you know, what were you doing in those 20 years? And it's like, well, you were just a guy living his life. Um, But I, I wonder if, were you, in terms of creatively, were you still being creative? Were you still, or, or did you literally just put things down? No, no. I, I mean, I was still creative. Like I, um, I, I was always uh, recording bits and pieces and writing bits and pieces. And um, I mean, I had so much time in my hands. I suppose you had to do something with it. Like, but um, yeah, uh, 
yeah, I was always writing and recording, but just not really putting it out there. I think, I think I, the last thing I, I did an album with Shane, uh, Paul McQuillan, and Dave Clark. Called, it was under Supernaut, and that took about four years. Now Shane, Shane says it, took, it didn't take four years. It was only really eight months, but it was moving recording studios and things like that. But it seemed like four years. But it was great fun. It was, it was like um, really, really good fun. And then after that, then we kind of drifted and I drifted until 2013. And then I put out an album called uh, Water's Memory. But it was after that then that I really started getting kind of back into it. And, you know, I, uh, I put out an album called Cities, which is just an instrumental record that I liked, but I don't know, it's, it would be, it, 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 you'd have to say it'd be a hard listen. Um, so I was always keeping my toe in, you know. And is your, in terms of your daily practice, are you somebody who has to play every day or or do, do weeks go by? What, what is your relationship with your sort of, um, you know, I mean, we, we call it like, we call it a daily practice, but I don't know we sh- if you want to look at that, you know, that way as it's like daily and practice seems so, seems so militant, but are you creative day to day or will there be times where you won't do anything for a while? Oh no, there could be weeks where, where, where I won't do anything. Like for the last, maybe for the last, maybe six to eight weeks, I haven't done much. Do you know, I just be reading and, you know, just do normal things, going for a walk, reading, watching TV. Um, in the odd time you pick up the guitar you put it back down after 20 minutes but but sometimes I get a feeling like I did with that Eric Move song and I know it'll come eventually and I'll just get out the recording equipment and hopefully something comes from it but I'm not too pushed you know I mean I kind of let it go and uh, kind of wait for it a bit more like I don't try and push it you know Um, so no I wouldn't be one of those people who sit down and write every single day I'm and I kind of do things in chaos you know it's like uh, I'll just I'll pick the, the the wrong half hour to set up the recording knowing that someone's going to come through the door and do you know that kind of a way maybe I'm doing it on purpose that I have to do it quick you know yeah. I suppose it's like yeah it's like I'm reading a book well I, I was just reading kind of biographies at the moment and uh, like Joyce was Joyce kind of wrote under chaos, you know, he had the family, he had Nora, the two kids, people calling in, it was chaotic. And, but he, he wrote every day and that's what Beckett loved about him. Beckett loved that Joyce, no matter what, he wrote every day, whereas Beckett was totally different. He'd have to write in kind of silence away from people and he could go for six months without writing a word, like, you know, so everyone's different. Yeah, it reminds me of that movie, It Might Get Loud, one of my favorite parts, I don't know if you've seen it, with that sort of um, guitar summit of Jimmy Page and Jack White and The Edge. Oh, um, I saw that. I saw that, yeah. Right? I saw that movie. And do you remember that part where Jack White talks about how he's playing live and, the, you know, he has to get to the piano and then he has to go from the piano back to back to the mic where the guitar is. And he said that he had seven seconds to get from one place to the next to keep the continuity of the song and he would purposely put things in his way so it would be harder to get there because he felt like if like if <laughs> right <laughs> so <laughs> so we have to earn that earn that moment so I, I totally know what you're talking about where like if you know you only have 20 minutes because chaos is about to really 
descend, it almost makes those those 20 minutes more valuable. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, yeah, that that's a really good movie, actually. I, it's funny. I didn't think I'd like it, and I really did. And I really like Jack White, you know? Yeah. He was playing this really old homemade guitar in one of the bits, and it was just really funny, you know, watching him do it. And they, they all seem to have such great respect for each other, you know? Yeah, and he was, I'm, I felt the same way. I didn't think I was going to like it either, and I ended up loving it, and I ended up loving him the most. Um, yeah. Because he, I felt he had the most to prove. And he was the youngest. I mean, he was, he even then, and he was still not even the Jack White he is now. I mean, he's such a good player. But, um, you know, the things he says are really wise. And I like the idea of, um, you know, the, there's that sort of notion that when you write, it's you do it in a tranquil setting, but if you do it in a, in a setting that is um, chaotic or it could explode any second, it just feels like, you know, the urgency gets captured in the work as well. It does, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it 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 it, it, it kind of works different for low. You know, there's loads of different ways that kind of creativity happens. Do you know, it, it could happen anywhere. You could be reading a book and just one line jumps out. Like I was reading this book now. I haven't done anything with it yet, but I read. I was reading this. Read this book, um, the redhead at the side of the road, and by an American writer. But she had she had this. She said she had this line where she goes, "I feel like I'm singing to a room full of broken hearts." And I just thought, "My God, that line jumped out at me." I thought, "That's a great line for a song, you know." Yeah. But uh, I haven't got to it yet. I'm sure someone else will pick it from the sky and do something with it. But it, but it's it, it, it's actually a great book because it, nothing really happens in it, but it's fantastic. My type of book. <laughs> <laughs>
mentioning earlier that if you don't feel it you won't you won't do it and i'm with you like so if i if i sit down to write and it's just not there um i'll just i'll walk away there there are times where i will try to muscle through that and it's very unsatisfying and it feels like that was a bad idea um so like you're saying like you have to feel that sort of like um that surge of of cosmic something has ignited Otherwise, there's, you just don't, it's not an enjoyable process. Yeah, I mean, creativity should be fun, shouldn't it? You know, right. it should be, it, it's basically what you're, what you're doing is, I don't know, for, for books now, I don't, uh, I read a lot of books, but I don't write them. Like, and whereas you write books, like, um, for, for music, it's like sometimes you're kind of thinking, I don't really hear the music that I want to hear at the moment. It's not coming on the radio, I, I, so I want to, so therefore I'm doing it for myself. So I kind of go, cause I like going around for a walk, listening to it, you know, like for instance, when you do an album um, for the first two weeks afterwards, you don't really want to hear it. And then all of a sudden you feel free from it and you put it on and listen to it all the way through. And then you kind of get a buzz off and you go, Oh yeah, it, it is. It is okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> whereas when you're working with it, you're just thinking of sounds, words, do they fit? So you're not really getting that, you're getting enjoyment and kind of um, excitement from it, but you're not getting the real excitement, which comes afterwards where you can listen to it then for a few weeks. And, and then next minute you're just going, okay, I want to do something else, you know, another one. Yeah. I, I remember one time I was, <laughs> I was, I went to a cafe with the, with the sole intention, like I needed to write and I was, I'm going to go, I got to crank out some pages. Um, I think I was working on a novel at the time and I sat down and I, you know, I ordered a, a, a tea and I had a thing and a whole setup going and I started writing and it was just awful. And at one point I actually, <laughs> I actually shook the pen. Like, is something going, is, is this thing on? Like what's happening with, the, with this pen? It's the pen's fault. <laughs> it's the pen's fault. Like I actually did that and I thought, oh my God, I'm crazy. And so I wonder with you picking up the guitar where you're, you're, you're chasing a sound and the sound isn't coming out. Um, that must be a similar feeling where you kind of go like, it was this thing on yeah oh yeah exactly and then, then what you have to do is you just have to leave it you know like i have a few things uh going through my head for the last two or three months and i've been trying them you know every couple of days i'll pick it up and only for two minutes and it goes oh it's not working you know so you just have to you, you have to wait and wait i remember like um like john lennon was saying that he was trying to write he decided he wanted to write a songs about growing up his you know, growing up and he spent 
eight hours one day, he said, trying to write these lyrics about growing up, blah, blah, blah. And, his, you know, uh, he, he just couldn't get it together. I think it's in, in the Playboy interviews. And um, the next day, out of the blue, he came up with In My Life and Strawberry Fields, I think, those two songs, two <laughs> fucking classic songs, right? But it, 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 they came out of nowhere, he said, but they didn't really come out of nowhere because the day before or the week before, he'd been trying to write those type of songs. So maybe if you do go through that bad patch of writing them and it doesn't look good and it's terrible, all of a sudden, that work, the work that you did before is the work that gets you the, you know, the, where the creativity really hits in, you know? So that's why you have to go through those hours of the pen isn't working, you know, it's the wrong <laughs> coffee. Do you know what I mean? I need another bottle of wine. <laughs> I need another bottle of Paris, you know? And so all that kind of time that you put in where nothing happens, that's, that's the work that kind of gives you the, when, you know, when something does pop up and it sounds good, you know? Yeah, I've got, I mean, I've got pages and pages of awful stuff um, because I have this, I have, sometimes I have this thing where I just refuse to give up where I go, if I keep tunneling through this awful stuff I'm writing, the good stuff is going to emerge through the clearing, right? I have to get through it. Um, and, and, I, and I do think that it is, I've always said this, and I think it is part of the process. I think that in order to get the gold, you, you do have to kind of dig through the dirt. Um, and it's, you know, it's not the most fun. And sometimes it can even be depressing where you go, I'm just no good at this, <laughs> right? I'm just terrible at yeah. this. <laughs> but like you still have to do it right you still have to kind of I, I mean i i have these old reflexes that still show up after 40 years where i know i'm playing a trick on myself going like isn't that good and i know it's not um do you have any of that stuff too where like you have these old kind of like tropes that you uh, that you can almost like almost like uh that fill in space to kind of get oh yeah she like there, there's stuff that there, there are songs that you could do by numbers, if you know what I mean. They're like, and every band has them, and I mean, they probably don't admit to them. Like, but <laughs> I could pick, I could pick two or three songs from uh, four or five of the albums that I've done that are is it's music by numbers. It's like, um, it's it's like, you know, you have your verse, chorus, middle eight, blah blah blah. But it, when you're singing it, it means nothing. Do you know what I mean? Um, but if you're stuck, you'd put them, you'd put them on there. You know, I mean, I won't give the songs because some people like certain albums. And if I said, if I named the songs, they'd be going, oh, that's dreadful. You know, I like that song. But the songs that you, you wouldn't be as uh, in, in, enamored with, let's say, you know, on different records. Now, having said that, the Mullins Ice album, I'm enamored by the whole thing, you know, from start to finish. That was... That was one of the things with me and Shane is we we wanted to make something that seem that goes from the next song to the next song to the next song and then finish. Even mm. the instrumentals have a part to play in it. Um, it even got to the stage where Mollen's Ice uh, became two different. We, we I in my head there were two characters, you know, even though they're not. If you know what I mean. Basically, yeah. Mollen's Ice. How I got the name of the album was. My wife was reading a book and she said, God, that's a great name for an album. I said, what? She said, Mollen's Ice. I said, what the hell is Mollen's Ice? I thought it was some Greek legend or something. She goes, no, they're the, the ducks behind the eyes that make the eyes cry, you know? And I thought, Jesus, I like that. Yeah. That's kind of cool. You know, I mightn't be wording it right now how she did. So that, so, but, so to me, they became 
two people and there's a little thing going through it, do you know? But um, I suppose, you know, you can make something, anything mean anything, do you know? Yeah, you can. And, and, I, and what I'm getting from you also is that you, you seem like you keep the receptors open, you know, like your, your wife makes a suggestion, you read a line in a book, you, um, you, you see something or you hear something and you think, how can I integrate that into something of my own? Um, which, which I really like because it, it makes it feel like the world that we live in is like one big collaborative process. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the one thing that I, I loved was I try, I'm trying now for the third time to read Finnegan's Wake, right? Okay. Now, I'm not getting very far with it. All his other books, grand, but this one is a bit of a problem. But I'm living in uh, Lis Elton, which is close to Ballybunion, and it's five minutes away from a place called Tarbert, right, in County Kerry. And in a few books now that I've been reading, uh, this fella called Thomas McCreevy keeps on turning up. He introduced Beckett to Joyce. He's in the uh, he's in the Nuala O'Connor's book. She's got a book out called Nora, which is a kind of bio, uh, a reimagined a word I don't like, by the way. It's a reimagined biography of Nora. You know, it's it's James Joyce and Nora going through their whole life, and it's absolutely brilliant. But anyway, this guy Thomas McCreevy ends up there. Now Thomas McCreevy wrote a poem, and he read the poem to Joyce. And when Finnegan's Way came out, a friend of Thomas McCreevy said, oh, your poem's in Finnegan's Way. And he went, what? <laughs> and it was. Joyce just took it and put it in because he thought it was really whatever. It fitted in. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you grab things wherever you can grab them. Do you know? It, it's, like, it's like in the, it's, it's like in the, uh, the what do you call it? Um, what's the, uh, the Buzzcock song, um, Boredom. And my favourite songs entitled, oh, is, is Boredom. And then you have Edwin Collins, uh, rip it up and start again and he's going and my favorite songs entitled boredom and he even plays the lead solo in it i love that kind of stuff do you know name checking the do you know so you can so yeah you you, you grab things from wherever you can grab them <laughs> yeah i mean i one of my favorite moments growing up was in cheap trick surrender where where he says uh got his kiss records out it's like that's cool. <laughs> like it, you can actually mention that you that you're you know listening to songs in a song <laughs> That's so exactly, cool. exactly, exactly. Are the boy the the is it the boys of summer where he goes? I'm a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac. You yeah, know? great line, <laughs> great line. Or or what about in uh, oh, is it? I'm trying to remember if it's if it's, it's Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, I think it's in Burning for You where he says time to play B sides. <laughs> and it's like that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. But if you look at Ulysses, or if you look at even. T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. It's like um, one time I saw um, a version of The Wasteland where it was footnoted where you could see where all the stuff came from. And it's like, that's exactly what we're talking about, where it was like, you know, there's borrowed stuff that's used as sort of um, as material for this this larger engine. Um, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's like the world becomes like one big collaborative thing, even though you don't even know you're collaborating with everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's 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 it, it's great. Like, you know, it's it's it, it's great to have an interest in all arts. Do you know, it, novels, movies, theater, everything. Do you know, and and to take bits from everything, kind of makes makes the world more exciting, doesn't it? You know, it does, and it also makes it feel like you know, if you have that antenna up, and you're watching a movie, and someone says something, uh, or uh, even something that you visually 
uh, take in. It starts to show up. You start to become influenced. I never understood when I was first getting going and writing. I'd hear, I'd hear a lot of fellow writers say that they're influenced by paintings. And I was like, I don't understand that. How does a painting have anything to do with a, with a short story or a novel? And it's like, I get it now. But at, at 22, I didn't quite understand it. But it's like, it all has to do in the same way I'm influenced by, um, you know, by Marky e. Smith's lyrics. Um, yes, someone yeah. could be influenced by by a painting. It's the same. It's just the same thing, just a different medium. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, painting is fantastic, too. Like, I don't get to galleries too much now, but, you know, a really, really good painting is just fantastic to see, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like I want to write, I think, like, I want to write a poem or a line that looks like that painting, you know? Um, I, when I was in graduate school, this, no, I was an undergrad, actually, this girl in this poetry writing class, um, everyone had kind of written her off as just, she was very pretty and uh, she was very mainstream, no, no edge to her at all, we thought. And we were kind of like, you know, us darker, darker, edgier guys were like, ah, we wrote her work off. And one day she read a poem and the very first line was, I'll never forget this. The first line is, I always knew you'd die murdered. And we were like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and, I have, and you know what, David? I've loved her ever since. <laughs> it, did she stay right? I don't know whatever happened to her. She probably, I don't know what actually happened, but, but we were, she sucker punched us because we made the big mistake of underestimating her, but it was like, I always knew you'd die murdered. And we were like, what the hell? That's better than anything we could ever write. She was amazing. Um, oh, brilliant. I've, I've just seen your cat. Your cat's jumped onto the window. Gorgeous oh, yeah. looking cat. Yeah, he like, yes. you see him? I do, yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous cat. Thank Same you. color as my cat. <laughs> I think I, I think if you're a creative person, I think you have to have a cat. I think it's one of the one of the requirements. <laughs> exactly. And a walking cane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I do think that I do like the idea that you can always be attuned to the world and you can hear something that someone might say inadvertently, um, or a conversation that you might have. I mean, you do seem like you you also seem like you can collaborate really well that you can take a note you know if Shane says to you like I don't know about that part um you can see the wisdom of what he's saying you're you're open to revision oh yeah I mean well I mean the, the whole thing about it is is that the two of us have to enjoy it and have to uh yeah the two of us the two of us have to enjoy it and we each have to get our whatever we want out of it so I do really like uh, collaborating you know uh, I've no problem with that at all it's just brilliant to be making music like at our age. <laughs> yeah. Still, you know, I mean, and it's it's exciting and, you know, whatever happens from it happens, you know. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, 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 it's, it's a really good place to be. Do you have eyes on putting a band together and playing playing gigs? Do, do you have the appetite for that? Um, I would have to say I don't really. No. Uh, but I would never say I would never say never. You know, if something cropped up that was worthwhile doing, but uh, I wouldn't have the urge to do it. No, but um, uh, no, I, I don't think I'd have any interest. I mean, I don't really go out. And, I think there's a lot of things in the world that are overrated, and one of them is watching live music and just so many things. Holidays are overrated. You know, it's the I had this song called "The World's a Lie." There was no lyrics; it was an instrumental. And there's so many lies in the world. You know that you know uh, music festivals are fantastic. No, they're not, you know, um, you know, live music is fantastic. No, it's not, you know, it's like, um, 
like, what, why would I want to go and see somebody play the music live when I can buy the album and have it in my house and have a glass of wine and listen to it, you know, or listen to it in my car? That That's my, you know, maybe I'm an old curmudgeon, you know, but that's what I think. Were you always like that? Like, what, even when you were like 20, 25, were you like, I don't want to go see that band. I'd rather just go listen to it. At, at yeah, home. yeah. I was I was never mad on, on live music. I mean, maybe going out with the band now for a few drinks and stuff was good, but I just didn't, I didn't need to go out and see, you know, live bands. I did it maybe when I was 18 to 25, maybe. And um, uh, I just thought it was overrated. Do you know, all the, the fuss and, hassle of it you know yeah i for me it's really interesting i you know i'm an extroverted guy with i have an introverted element to my personality but when i would go to live shows i'm not that tall and so i my joke is i would tell my friends like you know we'd go see a band and i would say yeah all i could stare at was the guy's shoulder in front of me because he's six five and i'm five eight and i i can't even see the band um you know, I had some great moments where I saw great music and, and really was really moved by it. But once I once I hit like 40, I lost my appetite for it where I just kind of went, oh, God, you know, like, um, you know, it just felt like uh, like a hassle, like you're like you're saying. I mean, and music festivals, I mean, forget it. Eight, eight hours watching 28 bands that that never appealed to me at all. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I just don't get it like I but that's that's me you know everyone's different I I, I just don't see the point of it <laughs> what about like a more intimate you know there's this thing now where people this happens here in the states I don't know if it happens there where people will open up their homes and invite like 20 or 30 people and do a home show and have a have an artist come in and play an acoustic thing is that a little more appealing a little more intimate or does that still have the same effect for you go eh no, no, I'd say something like that would actually be kind of cool, you know? Um, yeah, I'd prefer something like that than actually having to get a bus into town or get into the car and drive up to do, you know, doing something intimate like that would be would, would be good. Like, But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I And I'd say Shane feels the same. I don't think he's any interest. He kind of, he likes the way that it'd be really hard to produce the record live, you know, so, because yeah. we're not going to do it, you know? So Shane is kind of on the same page. What's really cool, by the way, what, what's the, uh, I have to ask you about holidays. <laughs> uh, what, what's, the, what's the story with holidays? I kind of feel the same way as you, actually. That's why I'm asking. Um, holidays are know, a hassle? Yeah, it's just all, all these lies we tell ourselves, you know, that we have to do, you know, that this is great and that's great and this is great. And most of them are, they're a hassle, aren't they? You know? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? even going out for a meal like unless you can get somewhere really you know what I mean it's I don't know and food you know the way people get obsessed about food oh god this meal is absolutely amazing like and it's fantastic like you know beans and toast and whatever is is good like (laughs) you know all this art food and you know it's all like I don't know it washes over my head (laughs) yeah this is why I I never got into skiing is because it seemed like (laughs) way too much hassle you have to drive to the mountains and you have to get the right clothes you got to strap on the things and you go down the hill you got to come all the way back up it's like i'm a tennis player you just put on a pair of shorts and grab a racket and a ball and you're ready to go um so for me something like skiing seemed like a real hassle um 
yeah, we're 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 of the same we're of the same temperament. I know, I know, I know. I always remember the Barney quote: "When you have a ball, you've got the world's greatest toy of all." <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell the kids. <laughs> I, I think it's true. Um, how how was um, how, you have children, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. And how old are they? Oh God, um, uh, six, 16, 16, 12 and eight. Okay, so like, so there's, an, is it a, is something where, when you think about fatherhood, is there a, a musical element to it where you try to start introducing instruments to your kids or you just let them gravitate to it on their own? They kind of gravitate to it. My daughter's playing, she plays guitar and piano and my son kind of listens. Um, he drives me mad in the car because he's he's got a compilation tape of me <laughs> that he listens to. So I have to listen. I have to listen constantly to myself when I'm driving here, there, and everywhere. Very strange. But he's got great taste. Great taste in music. He likes um, Rage Against the Machine and what else does he like? That type of music, you know. He's got into the band now. He likes um, that's on the, the night they drove old Dixie down because he's got a bit obsessed by the uh, American Civil War. You know, he gets into these things and. So wow. I know. So I played him that track because it's got the Robert E. Lee in it. So I said to him, well, that Robert E. Lee was a great general. And he goes, how do you know Robert E. Lee? And I played him the song, you know. So, Did, uh, do you visualize a sort of idea where, because I've seen this happen uh, with a lot of people, um, where suddenly they start collaborating with their kids. They start, you know, playing playing songs together or, or collaborating creatively on a project. Could you see that something that would be, you'd open, be open to at least? Oh yeah, I would if, if if they wanted to, but I doubt they would. I doubt they would. Like, do you know? Um, a few years ago, I think there was uh, some Katie thing, and I played guitar for my daughter. She was doing this song called Grace. It since became a bit of a hit now with um, what you call him, uh, Rod Stewart. You know, but uh, that was only a one-off. But uh, I was kind of roped into it. Like, I played really badly as well. <laughs> Well, you know, we always think our parents aren't cool. Like I, I, it's kind of cool that your that your kid is listening to your stuff. Yeah, but it's strange. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, I've never heard anyone say that before. So it's actually it's actually really cool. I, I like your. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's a bit. Yeah, it's 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 strange. I just find found it find it strange. Himself and the wife like listen to it. You know, so if you if you write a song, will you run it by, or if you have like an idea? We, we, do you run it by your wife and go, hey, check this out? Or is that is that an avenue that you that you use? Or do you go to Shane first? Like, who's your first share when you do something? Um, if I come up with something, it'll be the wife. And uh, and it's usually negative. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be a lot. Of, but sometimes, it obviously, for, for this album, like, uh, her three favorite tracks on it were Mullen's Ice, uh, Earth Moves and Morning Song. And she just thought that's, that's brilliant. So, but uh, other stuff since then, if I've come up with stuff, it's, oh no, no, you've no lyrics. Come back to me when you got the right lyrics, blah, 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 blah. So it can kind of put you off sometimes, but she's usually right. Like she's got great taste in music. So she's, she's very good to, you know, to go by, but it can be, a, it can be a bit disheartening. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, but you, I'm sure you appreciate the honesty because you know it'll be unvarnished but you know that it'll be it'll be true exactly yeah and nine out of ten times she's right like you know the odd time she isn't so i go hey you were wrong on this and she goes yeah yeah you're right i was wrong you know 
That only, that only happens the odd time. <laughs> there's, there's a moment in the movie Miami Blues with Alec Baldwin and Jennifer Jason Leigh. It's from the late 80s, maybe early 90s, if, but maybe. And, um, and she makes him a dinner, which is awful. Like, she's a terrible cook. <laughs> And he loves her so much that he won't tell her that it's bad. And he's choking it down. You can see it. And um, and I always thought, oh, that's what you're supposed to do in a relationship. You're supposed to like not tell the truth. And then as I got older, I realized that's the exact thing you're not supposed to do. You should always tell the truth uh, about something because otherwise, you know, the person that you love puts stuff out into the world that's not up to snuff. So it's good to have someone who is a ferocious arbiter of, of what you create. Yeah, no, 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 for sure, for sure. Like that's why she will be the first I go to, and then to be Shane. Like, um, so if I had any ideas for lyrics, like I'd give her, I, I, I'd play it on a guitar, or else I'd play her a small cassette, or I'd give her. Basically, what I do is she goes, "Oh no, not again!" I give her the mini recorder with the headphones. Listen to this, and she's going, "Oh Jesus, no!" And puts it on, and then it, I either get the thumbs up or the thumbs down, you know. <laughs> 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 but I kind of like it, you know, because it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it, it, it kind of makes it more worthwhile having somebody like that, that you can run through, run stuff through, you know? Well, because if she loves it, you know that, that she really loves it. Like, you know that it's, it's very genuine. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's how we ended up with the son listening to the stuff because I made her, she asked me to make her a CD of stuff, um, uh, and it was an old computer, so it had a CD thing in it. So I made her of, uh, I made songs from the Into Headphones album that I did and Into Paradise. And that's how they got into that. But now she wants the Mullins Ice album on CD, but I can't make her a CD because it's these new laptops and they don't have CD players. So she's going mad trying to get those three, other three or four songs onto, <laughs> you know? And like, she's really wants the next single, which is called, it'll be out soon. Well, it'll be out in a month's time. It's called Dreams Come. And that's her favorite one. So she wants that on the CD, but I have to find a way of doing it for, I don't know how. Are you, do you think that you are, because it sounds like you are, does, do you feel that you're more creatively alive than ever? Like, it sounds like you're at the top of your game right now where you're hitting this really cool groove. Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you just wanted to go, to keep on going, you know. Um, it was just brilliant getting back with Shane, really. I mean, it, it worked out so much better than I expected it to, you know. Um, but then having said that, you see, he, he, when he was playing guitar in the Muse, his guitar playing was fantastic. Really, really good. It was a, it's a style that he's brought back. I asked him to play guitar like the old days, you know. Um, I think it was a loss. After Blue in Heaven, I think he kind of didn't play as much guitar. He went more into singing. But I think his guitar playing, he, the, the band missed that guitar playing, you know, that creativity that he has with guitars. Um, but everything, like, he's come up with a bass line on, um, on uh, Shake Me Our Magic that just, you know, I kept on saying, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, because it's so good. Like, you know, make it like dub, a dub reggae thing. Kind of reminds me of Public Image, The Metal Box, you know? Yeah. Um, and we were talking about that because that's one of my favorite albums. I kind of like those discordant albums, you know. Um, funny enough, when I got the Metal Box album, uh, my friend and I took it back and his dad listened to classical music. So he had an amazing stereo. And I take it out of the film canister and we put it on and we're going to put on the Albatross. 
and we're going, no, it must be the wrong speed. And we turn it down to 33. And we go, no, no, maybe the 45 is the right speed. We actually couldn't believe how insane it was, you know, from Sex Pistols to the actual single Public Image Limited. And then all of a sudden, this first song, Albatross, it was so mental. But I, but I love it. But obviously it was pre-45s. They were doing it like the old dub reggae releases, you know? Yeah. Well, it was just fantastic. So I wanted that. So I said, turn that bass up like, and he did. And it just sounds great. Yeah, it's interesting that because you were saying you like to work in chaos and you like that sort of the discordant stuff. There's a chaos to discordant stuff, but there's also this kind of harmony to, to the way it's done as well. I mean, not, you know, not like metal machine music or anything, but um, which feels really deliberately annoying. But uh, yeah, I, know what yeah. you, I know what you mean, though, about like even like My Bloody Valentine, that sort of like their, their most discordant stuff. There's something incredibly... Um, there's beautiful a beautiful about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's, a, yeah. Yeah. there's an actual beauty to it. Like my obviously my favorite song. Well, obviously my, my, from my Bloody Valentine. Sometimes, right, mm. is just uh, it's absolutely beautiful. The melody line and sometimes is brilliant. I used to get kind of cranky about bands like that. I used to think, oh god, they're hiding. They're not writing lyrics. They're just you know, they're just hiding behind this wall of noise. And you know, and I met Kevin a few times, and he's really really nice true Keith Cullen, you know, who ran Satanta. But um, that's, but there's there's something different with them. They're kind of uh, innovators, you know. Um, and then seeing Lost in Translation, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, the music that Kevin has in that is just absolutely fantastic. It's beautiful, like, you know, and of course, a great Jesus and Mary tr Chain track on that as well, you know. Um, yeah, no, their music is something else. They're they're kind of they're in their own world, their own space. I actually I really love the comeback album MBV. I yeah. kind of I kind of in the end I ended up preferring that to Loveless, like I preferred uh in 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 utro to Nevermind. I think Nevermind has kind of aged badly. I think it's got it's got a gloss production that doesn't really appeal to me, but in utro is still uh, raw and savage, whereas you know. Nevermind has this gloss thing, a sound that I don't think is going to last. Whereas the live in MTV is just fantastic. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And I think MBV, the album after Loveless, is just great as well. When you hear it on the radio, which is very rare, it just, it just stands out a mile. Yeah, I think MBV and I think that In Utero are looser albums and yeah. i think i think they swing looser and um and and i prefer i prefer them as well um especially in the case of in utero i think is is just a better record um yeah than never mind and so yeah and i, and I don't who knows why but it feels like um you know because you you yeah there is a kind of sound to it that feels a little more raw that um that really appeals to me as well so yeah um, yeah the rawness is is it's just fantastic but you see, his voice, you see, you couldn't, you couldn't go wrong with Kirk Cobain's voice. It's just a brilliant voice, you know? Yeah, it's funny because, like, he, it's a, he's just a great, oh, just a great rock singer. He's just, you know, he's just, it's perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, well, what a joy to talk to you, man. I, I, um, I've wanted to talk to you for a really long time because I, I got into, into Paradise when I was a college radio DJ back in, like, 89, when uh, or maybe when the Chrysalis record came out here in the states, yeah. And um, anyway, it's so cool to, to chat with you. I, I'm 
I'm so grateful that you took the time and you were willing to to uh, talk about anything. I, I appreciate. Yeah. That. No. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. And um and congratulations on the new work and and I I just love that you guys are working together and I think it all sounds fantastic and you know more 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 man. Brilliant. Listen. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank Have you. a good day in San Francisco. Wasn't he great? David Long, what a nice guy. An affable sort. Uh, I enjoyed that very much. We'll have him back. We'll have David back uh, for sure. And I should say, in my excitement to introduce you to David Long, I forgot to mention he put out three fantastic solo albums. Uh, He referenced some of them, but track those down because they are fabulous. In the mid-90s, a friend of mine mentioned the Supernaut record to me, and I was so excited, and I couldn't track it down. This is pre-internet, so I heard it years later. But now, it's available to you at your fingertips. All you have to do is go to davidlong4, that's the number four, dot bandcamp.com, get all the great music uh, from David and Shane, and their Supernaut record, from the 90s is there. A bunch of other stuff is there as well. So visit David's Bandcamp page, David Long, number four, dot bandcamp, dot com, and you will be rewarded for your internet browser rigors. <laughs> what the hell am I talking about? Anyway, his Bandcamp page has a lot of riches, and uh, you should buy them all. Uh, I am Alex Green. This has been Stereo Embers, the podcast. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I would encourage that. At Embers Editor, follow me on Instagram, at Embers Podcast. You can also email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. And don't forget to check out my website, AlexGreenOnline.com. Is it updated? Eh, it has some work that needs to be done. I should just hire some 19-year-old to do it for me in 20 minutes, but instead I'm going to just sort of do it myself. Uh, I'm going to grind out the yardage and uh, slowly but surely it'll be up to date. It will be. I mean, it's pretty up to date, but there are things that need to be added for sure. So bear with me and uh, we'll get there together. Stereo Embers, the podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, leave us a rating, Uh, You know, tell a friend, have them tell all their friends, maybe have a big party and talk about how much you like our podcast. (laughs) How it's amazing how that just started off as a kind of businessy thing and I made it completely self-centered. All right. What else? What else do you need to know? Bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what makes our radio station tick. We are on the air 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Let's close the show. Is that it? Is that all the things I have to say? I think that's it. Uh, Let's close the show with a longer listen to Meet Me on Another Day by David Long and Shane O'Neill. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here. 
on Bombshell Radio. Uh-huh.